mentioned there. Jesus again and again and again. Remember, he says, I tell you again. I say unto you again. And when he starts doing that, when God repeats himself, it means there's something crucial of crucial importance for your life. And one thing that he repeats over and over and over is watch and pray. And um, what do we watch for? Indeed, it is of an immense importance. You, I mean, please, friends, if you're a Christian, don't tell me that you're not interested in politics. Because I'm afraid you, you, you can't have that attitude. Don't tell me that you don't follow the economic situations around the world. Because if you don't, you're failing to watch. Because that's what we watch. We watch the ice caps melt. We watch the, 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 the free fall in our financial systems. And we see through them the fulfillment of prophecy. Right? We watch ecology. We watch Israel. And God has seen to it, you know, through his arm, that the nation of Israel has never been off the press. For all generations. Just as much today and indeed yesterday. And it will remain top of the news until the end of time. Until Christ returns. And when he returns, guess where he's going? Jerusalem. So there's much that we watch. And if you do that, and if you read your Bible, you will see that we are indeed in the last days. So we've spent, this is week number 10. We've spent the last nine weeks looking at the specifics of what we have been instructed to watch for. And now we're going to flip over and see that Jesus gives some very specific things that the end times church is to pray for, to pray into. And that's what we're going to spend just a few weeks looking at. It's quite surprising stuff, actually. Okay. Before all significant events, Jesus devoted himself to prayer. Before he entered ministry, he prayed for 40 days. Before he chose the 12, he was up on a mountain on his own and then came down and chose the 12 apostles. Before the cross, we see him in Gethsemane. So prayer is indeed crucial. And as we approach the end of time, it's all the more crucial for your life to be with it. To have your finger on the pulse of God's prophetic movement on earth. Okay? Now, believe it or not, it is not that easy to get Christians to pray. You would think with a God this good. You would think with a book full of so many promises. That it would be actually quite easy to get Christians to pray. But it isn't. And I worked full time for an evangelistic organization for three years. And through that time, my job was to go into churches ahead of an event that would be taking place, an evangelistic mission or whatever in towns and cities. And you would go into churches and your job would be a week or two weeks to bring the people to pray. Oh, it's like pulling teeth. <laughs> Surprisingly, it is. And I learned a lot in that you know, brief time. As a young man going in, you get frustrated with, with, with churches, with Christians. And I would try every trick in the book. Bad tricks and good tricks. Do anything to get them to pray. Try and make them feel guilty. Put them on a guilt trip. Tell them how bad they are. Do you know what? Will Christians pray because you make them feel guilty? Yes. But not for long. <laughs> they will pray. They'll probably pray until the end of that day. They might even pray the following day. But guilt trips don't change anyone. It's a waste of time. 
Another thing I, I tried was statistics. You would do research of the town or village or city and you'd put them all up on the wall, you know? Did you know that in an area of 10,000 people, four die every day? No. <laughs> and don't care either, you know? Get statistics. Tell them about their neighborhood. Awareness. Does awareness turn people to be praying people? No. Maybe for a day or two. Do you know that not even the conviction of the Holy Ghost, that when God would move somewhere, not even that would change people. And it's a very frustrating job, you know, trying to get churches moving and praying. And I praise God that one point the penny dropped, you know, and at last understood what makes people pray. Do you know what it is? <laughs> Belief. People don't pray because they don't believe. Now, I know you're a Christian probably here this morning. But the truth is, faith can be so weak, so little faith. Remember, the crowds that followed Jesus, he would turn again and again. Oh, ye of such little faith, he would say. And these were those who were close to him. But the truth is, you see, if in your life, the only praying you do is here on Friday night, or a few words here or a few words there, cast away sort of prayers, then you really have a problem. People don't pray because they don't believe. You see, human beings will do whatever they think they can do. If you think you can sing, you'll sing. That's why I don't sing. If you think you can dance, you'll dance. Now, some people are wrong in their beliefs, like Gordon, excuse me. <laughs> if you think you can dance, you'll dance. You will do whatever you believe in. You get the point? So if you're not praying... The bottom line is, folks, we need to take a, a good, cold look at ourselves and do an assessment of our faith. Amen. If you're born again, you have saving faith. But it's a little bit different from that. We're not just talking about salvation here. We're talking about accessing the goodness of God. Accessing these promises here, thousands of them, right? That God gives to us and for some reason inside our minds, there's blockages to that. You see, the truth is, it isn't something that's going to come from outside you that's going to make you a praying person. It's something, it's an inside job. And Apostle Paul tells us what it is. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I've got to change the way I think about God. So for this opening uh, message on the aspect of praying and praying in the last days, let's get a grip on the big picture before we go to specifics. So we've got something of a foundation to work from. Okay? So in terms of prayer, let me just show you something here. How does a Christian hear from God? What way does God speak to us? Well, that may be a little bit more complex than you have believed thus far. Let me tell you how God speaks. God speaks through His Word. But that's not all. And the truth is, if you ask many of you this morning, I'd say, how does God speak to us? The word is probably the, the, you know, the most common answer that you would get. But many people would just stop there. Well, if all you believe in hearing from God for is through the word, you're going to have a very problematic Christian life. Very. Because that's not it. It's not only it. Of course, God speaks through the word, and indeed it is the primary root. But after that, God will speak to us through worship. So when we say, come on time... When we say get here for 11 o'clock and don't be late, 
One of the reasons we say that is, please listen to me. If you're going to turn up late for church, then you have missed a crucial point where you stand before God. And you know what happens? Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions are broken down by God in worship. And you know what it feels like to stand there and to enter his presence and the soul realm decreases and your spirit rises and you're ready to receive the word of God. So worship is crucial. God will speak to you in worship. He will tell you things, do things. But if you're not aware of that, then you can just come casually late and you see it every Sunday because people don't understand. You see? He prepares us. The Holy Ghost prepares us for the entry of God's word prophetically and changes us through worship. So the word is a way that God speaks to us. That's how we hear from God. Worship, of course, in prayer as we're praying. But leaders is a way that God speaks to us. And if you don't have a discipler, an overseer of some sort, speaking into your life, then your Christian life ain't going to be right. You can see people like that all over the place, hopping from church to church or whatever, and there's no solid cover over their lives. There's no human being I'm talking about, not God at this point. This is a person. God uses people. He instituted the church. It's God's system. Involves people. So what I'm saying to you is there is some things that are only going to be said to you by people. Not by God. Some things God will never say to you himself because they're part of his church, his structure. And either we submit like everybody else and work in this structure and become submissive and obedient or we will never hear those words. Leadership is crucial, right? We all need to listen to those over us in the Lord. Amen. Crucial. There's a wife and husband situation within a family or, or father and mother. We've got to be open to those at home. Very often your spouse or indeed your children or your parents are a way through which the word of God will come to you. There's the lost. God can speak to us through the lost. Isn't that true? So often in work, an unsaved person or something or in college, an unsaved person will actually nail you with something that's true. Amen. And God can use him. God used this Cyrus, remember, in the Old Testament, an unbeliever, to do all his stuff in the nation. So we've got to stay open in all these ways. I just want you to see that so that you understand that hearing from God's not that simple. It's very diverse. And the healthy life has all these nutrients, if you like, all these avenues of God's directive word coming into it. But if you shut off one of those avenues, you're going to find you know, a little bit of, 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 you know, difficulty in your life that God is not necessarily bringing, right? Now, now move to prayer. You see, prayer is the same thing. Prayer happens in many different ways. It isn't just your point one there, your personal prayer. Of course, that's, you know, hugely important because that will be the foundation of everything else. But me praying on my own, that's not my family prayer. And many people excuse themselves saying, oh, well, I prayed on my own, but as a husband, I can't do that. As a father, I can't do that. My personal prayer is my personal prayer. And then there's my family prayer. They're not the same. They both need to be, you know, continuous. So I need to pray on my own with God. Then I need to pray 
with my family, right? Then there's leader's prayer. We meet here every Sunday morning and we pray together. There's church prayer, Friday night, prayer meeting in here. Things will happen on Friday night that will never happen in your personal prayer. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. But if you don't appreciate that, you'll probably turn up late on Friday night because you don't understand, right? So grow up, mature, and see that all these are actually vital for your you know, life, for your prayer life to be successful. God has made all this available to us. Church prayer is not personal prayer. And then there's prophetic prayer, where God puts something in your heart that you are to pray out. He gives you a word. He gives you something to say or to pray. And that's just, you know, absolutely fantastic. And then there's all night prayer. <laughs> you see, some parts of you, maybe you've got this problem or that. Do you, know, do you know what I believe to be the truth? I believe there are some things in life that will never be changed through personal, family, leaders, church, or prophetic prayer. I believe there are some things that will only be brought down through all night prayer. And that's why Jesus did it. Because it was needed. It was essential. And I know God came upon me one night years ago in an all-night prayer meeting. But five o'clock in the morning. And changed me for good. Fantastic. A wonderful, wonderful night. I'll never forget it. I honestly do not believe that all the Friday night prayer meetings in the world would have done that. There was something that needed. It's the powers of darkness, you know. And I needed to go into that night and come out the other side with victory. So start to expand your vision, not just about watching, but about praying and how it is that we pray in all these ways. Look, if you don't have these things active in your life, do you know what? Your prayer life is out of control. A bit like someone driving down the motorway who's taken their hand off the steering wheel. And going full pelt, so you get on with your life, okay? But you've actually taken, you've relinquished your responsibility. You're actually out of control. If a father's not praying in his home, with his family, that home can be out of control. A life unguided. And how quick the devil is to get into such situations. So be careful. But the good news is, just as it's easy to take your hand off that wheel... It's just as easy to put it back on. And right here today, and I hope this is what happens to you, that today you make a fresh commitment to exercise all these areas of prayer fully in your life. And look at them. They're on your notes. You can look at them and study them and take them home and think about what's missing in your life. You know that when they ask statistically in churches about the reasons why people actually don't pray, if you sit them down and ask them, statistically the three big reasons are what I'm going to do just briefly this morning. The first reason, when, when, when people are asked why they don't pray, do you know what the answer is? They say this. They say, well, God will do it anyway. Whatever God, you know, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. How many football fans here? Huh? You know, I hate that. Ten minutes to go in a football match. And it's 2-0. And off they go. Shut up! There's ten minutes to go. You can get three goals in ten minutes. What's wrong with you? What sort of support do you call that? Right? But God will do it anyway. Type attitude. It's an abdication. 
from your responsibility as a believer, as a human being, right? That we step back. You know, someone who says, God will do it anyway. How God will do what God will do. It's got nothing, you know, to do with me sort of thing. In some ways, they're right. God will do it anyway. God will have his way. God will fulfill his will. No one will thwart God. So in some ways, yeah, there's a truth there. But you're, you're, you're partly right, but you're also very, very wrong. Terribly wrong. And don't go through life with that attitude, friends. Please, don't. It, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely awful. When I was a child, my father was sick in bed. And I was, there was a lot in our family, nine children. And my mother came in with a prescription for the chemist. And she said to one of my sisters, here, go and take this to the chemist for your father. Get your father's tablets. And my sister said, no. <laughs> She's a kid, you know. No. Take it to the chemist. No, I won't. And my mother had plenty else to choose from, so she turns to me and she says, here, you take it. And I said, okay. So off I go. And as I make my way to the chemist, you know, I was a bit mad at my sister, a bit angry. On the way down, but on the way back, <laughs> haven't had time to think. I wasn't angry. I was sad. I'm thinking, my, oh my, oh my. Your father's sick. That's a sad situation for a human being that doesn't respect the honor. I'm glad to go to get tablets for my dad. I'm honored. I'm privileged. Of course I'll do that. But it's a, a person is to be pitied who doesn't see that as something of great honor and great value. Amen? Amen? So what about prayer then? You see, God calls you to pray. He offers you to pray. Go get this. Go do that. But we don't understand the circumstance that we find ourselves in here on this planet. We don't understand the honor of that invitation, the high, high honor. You know, let me put it like this. Where is it? The Psalms. It says this. The highest heaven belongs to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Only about five people. <laughs> the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the human race. He gave it to man. Gave it to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Gave him the keys. Gave him authority. Dominion, he calls it. Now listen. There's two Adams in the Bible. The first Adam and the last Adam. And the difference between the two, one completely failed and the other completely succeeded. Do you know what the difference was? Prophetic prayer. The difference was the last Adam used prayer, the first Adam didn't. So Jesus is the last Adam, by the way. So there's the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. What happens? In walks the devil. What did he do? Nothing. Nothing. The first Adam had spiritual authority. He had you know, authority given to him by God. He didn't rebuke that snake. He didn't rebuke. In fact, it was Satan. In the Garden of Eden with the first Adam, it was Satan. And in the wilderness with Jesus, the last Adam, it was Satan. Both Adams facing the devil. Both. Except the first one didn't understand the power of prayer. Didn't. Oh, God will do it anyway. Well, God didn't do it, did he? And Adam fell. You're wrong, Adam. You missed it. So Jesus comes and Satan comes back. Right? And now the, the beautiful garden has turned into a desert, a wilderness. And Jesus is walking in that wilderness and there's the same devil. But Jesus doesn't make the same mistake. He rebukes him prophetically. He uses the word, uses scripture. I'm just saying, you see, 
God's showing you right from the start. Don't miss it for your life. But employ prayer. Use prayer just as God wants to use you in prayer. Right? I was in Belfast last week visiting my mom and my sister was there and we were just talking over the, 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 the prayers that we have had answered. You know there's prayers and there's prayers. There's astonishing prayers. Some things you look back and you think, oh, wow, wasn't that amazing? And it just proves the point that God uses us, wants to use us. Where is it again? Sorry, he says, do I do anything on earth lest I do it through my prophets? In other words, he comes through like a glove, comes through the human race. We had our meeting, I was just recounting this one incident. We had our meeting in Ireland once. Sunday morning, the worship is going full pelt. And I don't like interrupting worship ever. I like to leave them to do their job, you know. But I'm standing there and crystal clear. God speaks to me. And he says, stop the meeting and pray for a child called Justin who's dying right now. I'm going, wow, okay. Never done that before. So I got up and tentatively said, sorry, guys, this is a bit odd. But I believe God just spoke to me and said, stop. Everybody stop. Pray. Intercede now for a child called Justin. I don't know any child called Justin. So we pray, 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 pray until we feel delivered of that. And that's it. You feel a bit stupid, you know. <laughs> so sit down, okay, finish off the worship and off we go. A week later, I'm in St. Mark's Church having a cup of coffee with a pastor there called Gary Davidson. And he just says, how was your Sunday? I said, oh, it was great. Good. Bit of an odd happening in the middle of it though. I had this word from God about a child called Justin who... I stopped the meeting. It was like 12 o'clock, you know, and we just stopped and we prayed. And he goes, what? <laughs> I said, why? Joe Fitzgerald's son was having an operation, Justin, at 12 o'clock on Sunday, opening up his brain. And Gary said, we had to stop our meeting. The whole place prayed for Justin. And he came through and lived in the operation. You see, God wants to use people. He wants to come into your life. You're the temple. And the Holy Spirit seeks a temple to pray in. Right? With groans and utterings that our minds can't comprehend. He's looking for somewhere to rest and pray and do His work in the earth. And that's you. A clean, sanctified, ready temple. Another night I was fast asleep in bed. And one o'clock, and it was actually New Year's night. I'm fast asleep in bed. And God woke me up from sleep. To get up and pray for my senior pastor at that time, Peter. And I did. And I remember it was one o'clock. I pray, pray, pray. And then when I felt free, I went back to sleep. And again, the same sort of story. A couple of weeks later, we're out driving and I remembered. I said to him, hey, I, God woke me up on New Year's night. One o'clock to pray for you. Same reaction. What? <laughs> he had been driving actually back from Belfast to Dublin in heavy rain. Going through a country lane. He hit a flood lost control of his car, ended up in the ditch, his head hit the, the dashboard. Boom! And there was a clock that said one o'clock. <laughs> and he said, you know, he said when he hit that, he, he was alive. You know, he just, he said, somebody's praying for me. He said, that's what he said. Oh, yeah, that was me. I was actually praying for you. So it poses a question. Why, if you're going to save Peter's life, if he's not going to crash, why don't you just do it? Because I was happily asleep. What do you have to wake me up for? <laughs> right? Because there's a point here. The earth he has given to man. 
God can do all that, right? He can do the whole thing himself, but he has chosen. People keep on saying God's sovereign. I know he's sovereign, but you're missing the point. He is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he has chosen you. In his sovereignty, he has chosen to come through the human race. That's what he's chosen. And so these things happen all day. If only we could hear them and keep our ears you know, attuned to that. I think of Reinhard Bonnke in the minus to plus. Some of you will remember that here in the UK, where many people, are. in fact, the whole of Britain was offered a leaflet through their door. And Bonnke is a very busy evangelist in Africa. And God speaks to him, go to Britain and put a leaflet through every door in Britain. And Bonnke says, I can't do that. I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't want to do that. But he does it reluctantly. And he's, at one point, he turns to God and he says, God, why on earth have you asked me to do this when I've got so much on my plate? And to his shock, God answered him. You know the answer? God said, you are the fourth person I have asked. Not the first. Kind of cut you down the size a bit. You know? <laughs> You're the fourth person that I've asked. And Bonky was shocked at that. Came to the United Kingdom and we actually... We're in one of those meetings in Newport. Many people there. And he told that, that within a very brief couple of months, he had met the other men. Whom God had spoken to do the minus the plus through the doors. But they didn't obey. Didn't see their part. A bit like my sister saying, I won't go. They didn't understand. Or didn't appreciate whatever it is that stops people. You know, just you know, obeying God and seeing the importance of it. Turn to Ezekiel a moment. Ezekiel 37. Look at this. Ezekiel's got that same problem. Ezekiel 37 and verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out by, uh, and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And here's, do you see Ezekiel's answer? Complete cop-out. Utter abdication. I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know, right? Religious answer. And God starts to rebuke him and say, Ezekiel, start to do your job. And by the time you get to to verse 7 of chapter 37, he says, so he did what he was told. So Ezekiel prophesied. He didn't want to take his responsibility. Do you know what the Bible calls that? We're going to look at it tonight. Sloth. Sloth. It's the sin of sloth. You know if you walk around and you're miserable? A born again individual who's miserable. Do you know what the Bible calls that? Sloth. Because you can't cure yourself. It's one for whom Christ has died has no right to be miserable. Amen. In any situation, David encouraged himself. Pulled himself up. And the Bible calls it sloth. And when Ezekiel says, oh God, only you know. Sloth. Not letting the word excite him, rise him. Man, you're in a pretty dead state when God can bring you into a valley. A bit like Elijah. Remember Elijah when the angel appeared? He wasn't even moved. Amazing how dead we can become even though we live, right? Sitting, you know, dying on the vine. Terrible situation. But Ezekiel obeys and great, great things happen. And God can ask us the same thing. How do you see your city? How do you see your family? Dead? Dry? They were actually long dead. And God says, right, well, Ezekiel, if they're long dead, what are you going to do? I guess I'm going to have to start prophesying that. Exactly. 
prophetic prayer. Start to speak in. It may be late. Maybe you should have done this years ago, but start now. And start to speak in what you want to see. So the first thing, the first, the main reason you get statistically from believers who are not praying, you ask, why do you not pray? The main reason, the, the, the first one, is in our heart of hearts, in the back of our mind. We say, God will do it anyway, so I actually don't need to pray. And that, you're right and wrong. And so you, you, you may be more wrong than right, if you know what I mean, because it might not happen. Many things that we need is called petition, right? When you bring petitions to God, they will not happen unless you do your part, right? The second reason is simply by feeling that you're not good enough. God will answer other people's prayers, but not mine. And this, this problem is all the way through the Bible. Do you know, once when I was studying prayer, God gave me a vision. And it was a very strange vision. I saw someone standing beside a river, a fast flowing river. And in the river, there was someone drowning. And the person standing on the bank, there was a life ring beside them. But the person standing on the bank had a very low self-esteem. They felt very bad about themselves. And they walked up to the river. Oh, look, there's somebody drowning. And the person says, throw me the ring. Help, save me. And they thought, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not anyway. I couldn't be involved in saving you. You'll have to wait for, throw me the ring. (laughs) I couldn't. I'm not good enough to do that. You see how self-centered it is? Self-obsessed it is when we don't pray. Because we think we're not good enough. It's not about good enough or not, is it? It's about His will coming through us. But we can get that. We need a... a, 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 By the way, if you have trouble in that, have communion. Have communion first and then pray. I think you'll find a significant difference when you come via the blood which cleanses our conscience and can bring you into a very good place. It was in Judges, if you remember, that Gideon had the very same problem. When God came to use him, he didn't want to be used. In the beginning, I like those two lines. In the beginning, it says that, you know, God alone, if you like, a bit like Ezekiel, God would defeat the Midianites. But by the end of those chapters, what does it say? By the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And a transformation has taken place in his mind. From someone who said, God will do it. Someone who said, I was not good enough. Remember, he said, I'm the least in my family. And all that. He had changed his mind. And he goes and he sees his enemy. And his attitude has changed. This is not just God. This is me. This is me. I'm born again, aren't I? This is me. I have a part to play. I've got authority. Do you know what? You have got influence with God. God will listen to you. So why do you not speak? God will hear you. God will hear you and answer you. We broke down there. The car broke down. And I tell you, it was a busy day. A very busy day. And I was tired. I did not want to break down. I wanted to get on with my day. And put, 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 put. Oh, no. And I turned to Jeanette and I said, you know what? Let's pray. God, I don't want to be here. Not to break down. Not now. Not here. Help. Please. Help. Help. Open my eyes. And in the distance is this car coming, hurtling towards us. And I just get the gut feeling. 
that it's a Moses, you know, it's the, my deliverer. <laughs> and looking, and he drives, 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 doesn't drive past, drives right up, bumpity bumpity, bump, nose to nose. And then, who's this? Out of the car gets a guy who's so drunk and so high on drugs he can hardly stand. And he comes over, leans in the car, and looks in the window. I, Lord, <laughs> you move in mysterious ways, Lord. So he's down the window. I, Hello. And he doesn't say anything. I say, we've broken down. He says, open the bonnet. I said, okay. So open the bonnet. Is he going to climb into it or something, you know? <laughs> Opens the bonnet and he's doing this. Turn it on. Do this. Do that. He said, no, no, no. I said, you stay here. Don't move. I will be back. And off he goes. And we're stranded. Don't know if he's coming back. Don't know if he's going to kill himself or what. <laughs> so five, ten minutes go by. Brum, down he comes. Out. Does something. I don't know what he was at. He goes, try it now. Brum, we're off. Do you know what? Do you know the funny? He just took off. It was deliverance. And I went from being very sad and very down to being euphoric. Why? Because God answers prayer. It will change your, your whole perspective of Him when you know He's on your side. Right? Just for the want of seeing Him correctly. And I think about in here on, on Friday night. You come into Friday prayer meeting and you, you can tell what people are like just by their body language. Time for prayer. Get the phone, you know. See if anybody texts me. Amen. Amen. The phone. Anybody on newspaper? You know? Some will busy themselves and you wonder why they're here. Others are so negative that their face looks as if they're just about to die. And you think, my God. Take a look at yourself and really we should probably film ourselves and look at how you appear approaching God. Listen, others will walk in and they will leave this building with loot, bounty, week after week while others sit dying on the vine. What's wrong with you? Do you believe in your God? One of the best examples we have here is this lady here in camp. Absolutely, the, probably the best example of praying and how to pray in the church. Absolutely. She came here and she had some very hard studies to do. Tough, you know, degree to pass. And it was hard. And the students come in on Friday night, you know, but some are so proud they wouldn't even tell you if they were studying hard. It was finding it hard. Not Enkem. She's on her knees at the front with the mic, crying into the microphone. God, I'm struggling to pass. I don't seem to be able to get it so quick. What's wrong with me? You'll help me, God, won't you? You'll help me. Does she pass? Sail through. And then she comes in another week. God, I'm lonely. I need a husband. And she starts going, he's got to be good looking. He's got to be rich. You can't have everything. Jim, would you just stand up a minute? Come on! Hallelujah! Thank you! God answers prayer. And listen, as she, as she is standing up here, there's certain things that block other people from breaking through. And one of the biggest ones is pride. It's pride. 
Because we're too afraid of what other people are thinking. Or maybe you just don't believe that God is good. Maybe that's your problem. There's different reasons with different people, you see. That she believes that God is good, believes that He will answer her prayer, and the latest few prayers, we'll see them happen. They've been praying about business. You'll get your business. Praying about success in that. It's called prosperity in the Bible. Success. Amen. You will have that. So who is your God? How do you perceive Him? And if you're not asking, why not? Do you know, I came home one day. I was, I was at home, rather. And my son came home from school. And he burst through the front door, ran up the stairs. And I said, What's up? He said, I got selected for the football team. Oh, the, oh good, great. There's loads of us. We're going into town. I've got to buy new boots. Okay, I've got to go. And he's getting his bag sorted out, getting changed. I'm thinking, new boots, eh? Father, thinking about money. Huh? <laughs> he hasn't got any money. I, How much are the boots, James? He said, oh, but 60, 80 quid, something like that. 60 or 80 quid? God, help me, please. <laughs> Don't say anything, you know. Now, do you know what? He was so excited, he didn't even think. He was a bit like that. Didn't even think about money. Just excited that I'm on the team. And money never actually entered his mind. Just ran upstairs, got changed. And he comes down, he got a bag in his back, and I'm standing by the front door. Sooner or later, he's going to think about the money. You know? And he comes down right then, and, uh, oh. And he turns and looks at me with a big smile. <laughs> Out comes the hand. Now, let me ask, let me ask the fathers. What do you do in that situation? Jesus answered it. Come on, we'll go and we didn't have much money, right? We'll go to the bank. We'll get the money. I'll sell the shirt off my back. But you will have that money, right? Now, I am a wicked father, a human father. And Jesus said, if wicked men know how to bless their children, how much more your good, glorious father in heaven, right? How do you see him? What is it that blocks you? From going to him. In the book of Hebrews it says this. Therefore we shall boldly come before the throne. Boldly. Having confidence in our God. And that's the sort of prayer that God is looking for. From us. To boldly enter the throne room. Coming under the blood. Not in, a, you know, in pride. But dealing with that like Gideon had to do. And, and prostrating yourself before God. And honoring the fact that he's, he, he's, he's saved you. And brought you into his army. The last point. The third reason why people don't pray. If you ask them why they pray. Or why they don't. You know what they say? Because I keep on thinking in my mind. I'll do it tomorrow. I keep on putting it off. I keep on thinking you know next year. Whenever I'm finished my studies. Next year whenever I'm not so busy with work. And there's always another day. But of course that day never comes. That day never arrives. And my advice to you is no matter how busy you find yourself, you need to start to pray today. And you need to look at all those things that we listed there, the different types of prayer, and ask yourself, am I missing any holes in the fence there that I need to deal with? And do it right away. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to give a chance for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus. You know, some of you here for the first time, you come into a meeting like this, maybe you've never been in a church before, and you don't know what it's all about. You just know that the other people here are different from you somehow. 
Well, what they are is they're born again. Do you know Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will never enter heaven? That's what he said. And if you don't know what that means, let me explain it to you. When Adam sinned, Adam was body, soul, and spirit. And when Adam sinned, his spirit died. And when we repent, that means to turn from our sins to God, God receives us back. And you know what he does? He breathes life back into you. And you're, as it were, born again. Not physically, but spiritually. That which died in Adam comes alive in you. You see, you can't pay for your own sin. All the, You can give all your money to the poor. You can give your body to the flames, it says, as a martyr in 1 Corinthians. But it still won't save you. And that's why Christ had to die on the cross. And on the cross, he took your sin. He took my sin. And then he offers you eternal life. I want to give you that chance this morning to say, Do you know what? I have never repented of my sins. I've never put my faith in the death of Jesus to give me life. And today I want to do that. Would you bow your heads one moment? Is there anyone here who doesn't know Jesus and wants to give their lives to him? I ask you just as the worship team returns that you would raise your hand right now and at the end of this meeting, I'm going to come and pray with you and lead you through the sinner's prayer and how, what it means to be saved. Is there anyone wants to give their life to Christ today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that your gospel, that the good news of what you've done for us would enter our lives in such a way that it would transform us. And God, today as a people, we repent of not seeing you aright. You're a good God. A very, very, very good God. Forgive us that we should ever doubt that. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, forgive us. And I pray you would change our minds. Renew my mind. And let me see you as, as the good and gracious and merciful God that you are. Give us faith in you again. To believe of all those good things. You said no good thing would you withhold good thing. Just make a fresh connection with your God.